Amen. Well, take your Bibles today and turn with me to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13. As we continue our study through the book of Joshua, don't be alarmed by this statement, but we will be looking at chapters 13 through chapters 21 this morning. I will have you home before dinner. Uh, no, it won't be as bad as you think. Adrian Rogers, the uh, famed former pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, once said, All scripture is equally inspired, but not all scripture is equally inspiring. Now, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible cover to cover, you would have to acknowledge the truth of that statement. There are some passages just a little more inspiring than others. There's no question the book of Leviticus is just as inspired as the book of Acts. It's just not nearly as inspiring. Now, the same could also be said of these nine chapters right here in the middle of the book of Joshua. That's exactly what you feel like when you come here. And it's surprising because if you've been with us and following our study through Joshua, we've had 12 chapters of inspiring stories of the miraculous works of God, of his faithfulness to his people, of the courageous action of his people as they have followed him, a model for our spiritual journey. And it really does seem, in those first 12 chapters, every episode just a little more exciting and inspiring than the previous one. And then all of a sudden, you come to these chapters, nine chapters, which you are not exactly sure what to do with. If you've read through the book of Joshua, I can't imagine you not skimming these chapters. I would not be surprised if you had just skipped these chapters altogether. And let me just explain why. Look with me, I'm just choosing a portion here of chapter 13, verses 24 through 28. Let me just give you a little taste of what's happening here in these chapters. Moses gave an inheritance also to the tribe of Gad. To the people of Gad, according to their clans, their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the Ammonites, and Orior, I don't know idea how to say that, which is the east of Rabbah, and from Heshbon to Ramoth Mizpah, and Betonim, and from Mahanaim to the territory of Debir, and in the valley, Beth Haram, Beth Nimrah, Sukoth, and Zaphon. If you're inspired, say Amen. The rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, having the Jordan as a boundary to the lower end of the sea of Chinnereth, eastward beyond the Jordan. This is the inheritance of the people of God, according to their clans, with their cities and villages. And all God's people said, Amen. Nine chapters of that right there. Nine chapters. I had a sweet lady a few weeks ago come up to me at the end of a Sunday service and she was trying to be as kind and honoring and affirming as she could. And she said, Pastor, I've, I've noticed that you've been taking pretty much one chapter per week and preaching that. And sometimes even two sermons from a chapter. And, and Pastor, I've been reading a little ahead. And I'm just wondering if you're planning on doing the same thing as we move forward through the book of Joshua. What she was trying to say is this. Oh, God, Pastor, please. We, we can't do this for nine weeks. What she really wanted to know is this, Pastor, if you are going to do that, that's great. Praise God, I trust you. 
there's a few churches I've been wanting to visit, and <laughs> thought this would give me a chance to go see what's going on at First Watkinsville. I heard things are great over there, and I, I'd love to visit a few places. That's what she really wanted to know, but I, I'm here to assure you we're going to do all nine chapters in, in one sermon this morning. Now, the truth is, is it is exhausting to read these chapters. I've done it. But what seems exhausting to us was actually incredibly exhilarating to those in this moment. Because the, the truth is, is this moment is the climax of the book of Joshua. That everything, all of the exciting events that have happened up until this moment, everything in chapters 1 through 12, all of it leading to this. That this was the moment that generation after generation have been waiting for, almost 500 years of waiting for this exact moment. And when understood correctly, this little portion of scripture right here has the ability to fill us with an immense amount of hope that we desperately need in order to make it through this life and take hold of what God has for us in the next. So let me just take a moment and try to explain it to you. The Bible begins, as we've talked about many times in our study of Joshua, with life as God intended it to be. Now, this is important for you to realize. This is not life as it was intended to be. Life as it was intended to be is seen in the Garden of Eden. It is God and his people. He has put them in his perfect place. They are experiencing his presence and his peace and fulfilling God's purposes. This is exactly how God intended for it to be. And God creates Adam and Eve. He gives Adam a commission. He goes, I want you to go and subdue the earth. And I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because God's desire was that the entire earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And so they would fill the earth with his glory as they were fruitful and multiplying. That was God's plan. That's life as God intended for us to experience it. But it wasn't very long before Adam and Eve decided to rebel against the authority of God and submit themselves to the enemy. And sin came into the picture. And when sin came into the picture, in one moment, everything was broken and everything was lost. God's people now separated from him, aligning themselves under the authority of someone else, rebelling against the one who created them no longer in God's place because they were removed from the Garden of Eden. Instead of experiencing God's peace, they run and hide and experience the shame that always comes with sin. And instead of the entire earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, the entire earth is going to be filled with sin and sinful people. But even in the midst of that, God's purpose always remained the same. God has always desired to have a people. And they would have a place and they would experience his presence and his peace and they would exist to fulfill his purposes. And so very quickly, God began to put that back together. And the first real picture of that we see is in Genesis chapter 12 in which the Lord comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I've chosen you, not because of anything of you, but just because I've chosen you. And I'm gonna make from you a great people. And I'm going to take you into a place. And you're going to experience my presence and you're going to experience my peace. And through you, the nations are going to be blessed. I'm going to accomplish my purposes. And from Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy is the incredible journey 
of God leading his people into experiencing life as he meant for it to be. It's a journey filled with lots of ups and lots of downs. It's a a journey filled with a lot of faithless moments. But it is still the journey of God's people in experiencing life as he meant it to be. 430 years of journey. And throughout all of it was a faithful God intent on accomplishing his purpose. Now when you turn to Joshua chapter 1, stay with me here. When you turn to Joshua chapter 1. For the very first time, after over 400 years, here are God's people on this side of the Jordan River about to go take the land that God had promised to Abraham. Every generation waiting on this moment, every generation hoping that someday they would have their own place. And it wasn't simply about the land. It was about God fulfilling his purposes. It was about life as God intended for it to be. And here they are. God's saying to them, here's the land. I've already given it to you, but you must go take possession of it. And in Joshua 1, he tells them exactly how they're going to do it. He says, first of all, if you want to go get the land, you've got to trust and follow God's man. It's Joshua. Joshua is the appointed leader. If you trust and follow him, you'll be a success. Look to him. He will lead you into the land. It says, trust and follow God's word. Be obedient to everything that I've commanded you. Meditate on the word, speak the word, make the word the center of your life, the source of all of your strength. And then trust and follow God's process. Have I given you the land? Yes. Is it yours? Yes. But in order for you to take it, you must take courageous action and march forward by faith and take hold of that which has been promised to you. And Joshua chapter one through 12 is watching the people of God filled with faith in the promises of God, marching ahead, subduing the land, so that from it they might spread the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And chapters 1 through 12 is a 40-year period of time, 40 years of battles, 40 years of war. 40 years of exhausting, courageous action, moment after moment, day after day, waking up knowing that another day of battle is before you. This entire generation for 40 years advanced into enemy territory, taking hold of the land which God had promised them. And now, it tells us at the end of chapter 11 that war has ceased. The time of fighting is done. The tide of struggle is done. All of that is done. And Joshua gathers all of the people together and clan by clan and tribe by tribe, he begins to give them land. Massive areas of land. They've been homeless for 400 years. They've been wandering nomads. They've been refugees, living in tents. And when it was time to move, they'd pick up the tent and go to the next place and put the tent down. None of them had ever had a place, nor had their forefathers. And at this moment right here, after all of the struggle and all the battle and all the fight, God is keeping his promises, and Joshua stands before the people of God, tribe by tribe, and begins to allot to them massive amounts of land. Now, this is so hard for us to imagine a moment like this. But just try to imagine if you had never had a place to call home and your parents had never had a place to call home and they didn't have a place to call home and their parents didn't and everyone has been waiting on God to fulfill a promise and just been waiting, waiting, you've never had a place and all of a sudden 
You stand before God and he just says, hey, I want to give this to your family. I mean, just imagine what this would be like. He said, Doug, I want to give you the Pacific Northwest. All of it is yours. All of the Pacific Northwest. You good with that? Give me a thumbs up. All of the Pacific Northwest. Cody, you're new here at the church, your first Sunday. We're going to give you all of New England. All of New England is yours. Jace, Hawaiian Islands. You baptized five people this morning. Hawaiian Islands. Ryan, you get statum. Let's go quaint downtown areas. This is what's happening. All the people are gathered together wondering what's going to happen. And Joshua just begins to give them this massive pieces of land. And it's not just about the land. It's about a God who fulfills his promises. And at the end of nine chapters of a land allotment and cities and names that you cannot pronounce, look at what it says at the very end of chapter 21, starting in verse 43. Joshua 21, 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers. And they took possession of it and they, they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. And not one of all of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all of their enemies into their hands. This may be the most important verse in the book of Joshua. 21:45 not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed all had come to pass God kept his promises and it wasn't simply about receiving of a home and of a land, all of that was incredible and had to be exhilarating. It was bigger than that. It was a reminder that God always does what he says he's going to do. And the key to understanding these nine chapters for us is found in one simple word. It's a word that's used 13 times just in Joshua 13. It's a word that's used 53 times in chapters 13 through 21. Here's the word. Inheritance. Inheritance. He says it in verse uh, 6 and in verse 7 of chapter 13. He says, allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore, chapter 13, verse 7, divide the land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. And then every single episode after that says, this is an inheritance, this is an inheritance, this is an inheritance. Because the Lord is reminding them that they didn't purchase this land, that they didn't get this land because they fought for it. They didn't just conquer this land. It was given to them as an undeserved gift of God. It was something earned by another but given to them. It was a gracious gift of a faithful God. This is your inheritance. You have been faithful. You have walked with me. Here is your inheritance. Now, even if this didn't apply to us, it's a good story. The truth is, is it does apply to us. And the reason we know it applies to us is because as you begin to read through the New Testament, you will find over and over and over the use of the exact same word. 
that the New Testament promises that those who walk faithfully with Jesus Christ, who submit to his lordship, who trust and follow God's man, Jesus Christ, who trust and follow God's word, who center their lives on it, who trust and follow God's process of walking faithfully day after day, after all of their years of battle and all of their years of struggle and all of the years of toil and all of the disappointments and all of the moments of discouragement, if they will remain faithful, they too will receive an inheritance from the Lord. That this is a model for our own spiritual journey. This entire book is showing us what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ and reminding us that God's purpose for you is exactly the same as it was for them. God wants you to come and experience life as it was meant to be. He wants you, by trusting in Jesus Christ, to become a part of his people. He wants you to experience his peace. He wants your life to exist for his greater, ultimate, best purpose. And he says, as you do, the life that you live, even though you get a little taste of this life will still be hard and it will still have struggles and it will still be years of toil and war and battle and fighting but at the end rest assured there will be a day in which you too will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Now we could go all over the New Testament in Romans chapter 8 and Galatians 3 and 4 and multiple places to show you this. But I want to ask that you turn to Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment this morning in order to help you to see as clearly as possible what it means that we have an inheritance waiting for us as the people of God. Because the New Testament, when it took the word inheritance, took it from Joshua's chapters 13 through 21. They took the idea of inheritance and applied it to us as believers. And nothing shows us better than this in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. Now what Paul does in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is he takes us from eternity past all the way throughout history to the present moment, all the way into the future and gives us this grand vision of salvation. And the emphasis is on our union with Jesus Christ five times. He says, we in him have received this and this and this. And he actually says, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there are seven things that are true about you. You are blessed, you are chosen, you are loved, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are an heir, and you are eternally sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Marvelous chapters. And all of that is true because of Jesus Christ. Now here's how this works. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is the only true Son of God. He's the only one that deserves the blessing, right? He lived a perfect life. He deserves all of the blessing of the Lord. He is the one chosen, loved. He is the one that is to be the heir of all of the promises. But do you know that when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you trust Christ, make him the center of your life, choose to trust and follow him, that you are united with Jesus Christ in a very real union. So now, all of the things that only Jesus deserves, you now get. This is why he says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Through redemption, you get adopted into the family of God. Look what it says. 
It says in verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Look at this. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. Oh no, pastor said the P word, predestined. Let me tell you what it means in Ephesians one verse five. It means that God has had a predetermined plan. God's predetermined plan was this is that everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ will be adopted into the family of God so that all of the blessings that belong to Jesus now belong to them. You don't need to be scared of that word. That is the greatest hope that we have, that there is a predetermined plan that those who are in Christ get all of the blessings. He predestined us to adoption. He says that we have been adopted, listen, as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, I had been here about two months when I walked down right here to the end of the service and a young college girl comes up to me and she says, Pastor, I'm really struggling with something and I I don't know what to do with it. This has been like this my whole life and you've done this a lot since you've been here. You always refer to the sons of God. And I'm a girl. And I don't know why you don't say the sons and daughters of God. I feel like somehow I'm left out on all the good stuff that God is doing. I don't know what to do with this. And I said, let let me me tell you something real quick. Listen to me. I said, let me tell you something. In the first century, only the sons were considered heirs. And because only the sons were considered heirs, only the sons got an inheritance. And when it tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that we are sons of God, the greatest thing that could ever be said to a female in the first century is that once you come to Christ, you're treated like a son. That you're a joint heir of the promises of God. The promises, the blessing, the inheritance doesn't skip you to go to the boys. It doesn't matter whether you're a girl or a boy. You're regarded by God as a son of God, meaning you're an heir of the promises of God, and all the inheritance equally belongs to you. That's why we don't say daughters of God, because it's better to be a son of God. And ladies, so you are. That's exactly what he gets to. Look at verse 11, chapter 1. In him we have obtained an inheritance. You say, wait, wait, how do we get an inheritance? Because we've been adopted, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What he's saying is this, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're brought into the family, you're adopted, you're regarded as a son, you're made an heir, and therefore all the inheritance that really should only go to Jesus Christ now goes to you. One of my daughters came to me last night and said, Dad, what are, you, what are you preaching tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm preaching on inheritance. And they said, what is inheritance? And I said, that's when someone dies and you get everything they worked hard for. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. When someone dies and you get everything they worked hard for. That Jesus Christ has died and everything that only he should get. That he lived a perfect life for. That he died a criminal's death all belongs to you. 
That's the inheritance you have in Christ. Now Paul spends all of these verses talking about how glorious this is, but he has the same concern right here that I do, which is that you might hear this but not actually grasp it. And so look at what he does in Ephesians 1.15. He just begins to pray. Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. And look at what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. What he's saying is this, listen, I know I've explained this to you, but now I'm praying that somehow in God's grace, you might come to understand all that God has done for you in Christ. That you would grasp the significance of the hope and the riches and the power that is bestowed upon you because you know Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians 2, he comes and he says, listen, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, meaning you didn't deserve this. You were a child of wrath just like the rest, but God in his great love has given you the gracious gift of salvation. And look at what it says in verse four of chapter two. But God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 7. So that in the coming ages, in all of eternity future, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here's what he means. He says that because you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, become an heir and have an inheritance, God's plan is this, that for all of eternity future, every single moment of every single day for the rest of eternity, God has one thing in mind. He wants to pour out more and more and more every day the riches of his kindness on you so that every day you wake up to more of his joy and more of his life and more of his kindness for all of eternity. That's what God wants to do with you. It is the glory of the inheritance that belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is that that allows us to make sense of 1 Corinthians 2, 9, which says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And in the same way it was true for the people of God in Joshua, so it is for us. That the moment you come to know Jesus Christ, you begin to get a little taste of his life. You get a little taste of the rest and the joy and the peace and the power because you're immediately brought into the family. But the Lord says to us, most of this is yet to come. That there is coming a day in which you'll know all of this fully. Well, you'll experience fullness of life and fullness of healing and fullness of deliverance and fullness of peace and fullness of joy. That when all the pains and the struggles and all the trials of life are done, you will enter your rest. You will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. You will experience the fullness of the presence of God. You will have glorified new bodies. And for all of eternity, God has one thing in mind, to keep pouring out upon you all of the blessings that a son gets. 
That's why Joshua 13 through 21 matters. Because what these chapters are doing is reminding you of a faithful God who has a good plan. And every single one of these chapters are yelling to us from a previous generation two simple things. They're yelling to us, church, be faithful. Be faithful. You have to remember the time in which you're in in the book of Joshua. You're in the 40 years. You've been saved, now 40 years of fighting and struggle, and it's hard, and life is hard, and life is broken, and people hurt us, and people reject us, and we struggle, and we get sickness, we get bad diagnosis. All of that is a part of living in a broken world. But what the people of God are saying to us in the book of Joshua is keep being faithful. Because this is a moment, and this moment does not compare to the glory that is ours in the future. Just keep holding on day by day, being courageous and walking with Jesus. Church, be faithful. And then they say to us this, be hopeful. Be hopeful. Because no matter what happens in your life, listen, this is the absolute promise of Scripture. That if you're a believer, the best is always yet to come. There is always something better for the people of God. And you will not experience it in fullness here. You know why? Because this isn't heaven. You don't get heaven here. You don't get heaven here. You get heaven later. As you fight and struggle and trust in the promises of God, there will be a day. And you experience all of that and the best of anything you can ever imagine. All is yours in Christ Jesus. But you must hold on to that hope that there is something better. Because unless you do that, you will never have the courage to do what God has called you to do today. Unless you believe there's something better ahead. I just want to plead with you this morning. From these chapters of scripture, keep remaining faithful to the Lord. Nothing matters but Christ. Nothing lasts but Christ. Hold on to your hope that will allow you to be faithful today with the belief that God will fulfill his promises because I assure you there is coming a day in which all of us will gather in the new heavens and the new earth and God will begin to pour out an inheritance on you that will be yours for all of eternity. Just hold on till that moment. I assure you it will be worth it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.